Hi and welcome. This is Solf. And in today's episode of The Passionate Producers, I will talk to Philip Couture. Philip, CEO of the so very coolly named Gotham Lab. In their language cave, this localization company translates and works with hundreds of languages. Good afternoon to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to you as well. We worked together quite a while back, and I remember I was thrilled because we did the Harry Potter thing. You were there. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Philip, you started Gotham Lab 2004, yeah. is that correct? And you focus specifically on localization, is that correct? Yes, it is. So we have been in business since 2004 in New York City, and primary focus is multimedia localization. So basically, we take messages to produce for language-speaking audiences. So you started out as a sound engineer, is that correct? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, that's my specialty was, you know, I was recording studio as an engineer doing mostly jazz recordings. So a lot of, you know, analog instruments and things like that, trumpets and drums and saxophones. And then, you know, we did a lot of vocal recording as well. So that's initially how my media background in any case is with engineering. And I also have some experience with video work and subtitling and things like that as well. Okay. So did you stumble into localization or was that something you specifically focused and said, I really love this, I want to do this? You know, that's a great question because oftentimes when I even, you know, speak with someone who's maybe not in the industry or involved in entertainment or, you know, marketing or advertising, they don't really know that localization even exists really. Right. So I've always had an affinity for languages since I was younger and that has always been very interesting to me traveling in languages and cultures of the world. So, you know, one day I did come across a, a friend of mine who had mentioned, you know, that there were companies that he knew that were doing localization work regarding producing videos and things for foreign countries. And I always remembered as well when I when I would travel abroad, uh, just as a student, I would see American television is very popular around the world. And um, that was always interesting to me, kind of how we adapt and package messages or media or entertainment so that really anybody in the world can enjoy it or receive what's produced in one country. So that was always kind of very interesting to me. And, uh, you know, I just decided one day to break off and kind of remember, can't really remember what the first project that was quite some time ago but right yeah so, so that's kind of how i got into it it was not completely foreign to me you know with regard to working with languages and things like that but it was it's something that kind of i didn't know existed let's say you know prior to 2000 i would say it was all kind of a little bit strange to me but then once i delved into it i realized that actually hey this is something that you know occurs especially with global commerce and things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everywhere everywhere around the world so, right yeah right well i would imagine it broadens your mind the global social network that has exploded, that yes. must have given you a boost, at least an awareness. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you know, honestly, the more time goes by, the more relevant, I think, communication and media is going to be, you know, because as you know, we receive messages from, you know, the other side of the world now almost instantaneously, even with, with regards to news that's happening, current events and things like that. And all of this kind of fits into the narrative of, um, you know, translating and producing material so that that information is available to a wider audience, essentially. And that's, you know, quite exciting, actually, to be able to be a part of that and, uh, you know, facilitate this sharing of information and communication around the world. So, yeah. 
Do you work specifically with Facebook and things like that when we're talking about instant communication? I'm bringing it up partly because my wife helped some Syrian refugees get from Turkey to Sweden because she has friends in Sweden and she got them hooked up with each other. And she saw this unfold in real time. And that was just really exciting how these things can happen. It is. And it is absolutely exciting. And I don't think there's any coming back from that. In other words, I think that things are only going to get more entrenched and more advanced with regard to, you know, things like speech to text, you know, and things like that. But with regard to like, you know, a lot of software is involved now. I do have to say that I I don't think that computer aided translations or software is quite where it needs to be in order to be as reliable as I think people would like it to be or need it to be. And uh, with the advancements in cloud computing, you know, that's basically going to be the foundation for it. I look honestly to the leaders in, you know, you're, you're talking about like Google and Facebook, they most likely have their own departments, you know, that are dealing strictly with these off-the-cuff translations using software and things. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of a different animal, so to speak, but it all lends itself to the same concept and idea of, you know, communicating around the world, getting your message around the world. We Mm -hmm. do a lot of work Mm -hmm. as well with films, you know, and film subtitling has been around for a very long time and and voiceover for film as well. And, um, you know, these are things that allow not just in the commercial realm and in the business realm, but also with regard to art, you know, filmmaking allows directors to, you know, uh, have a much wider audience. And and ultimately, I think it it connects us, you know, on a more human level as well, because then we can learn from other people's experiences through the art that they make in film. And uh, it's uh, doing, you know, translations and subtitling for film is kind of an art in its own, because I often tell people, if you were to give, let's say, one paragraph to 10 different, you know, professional translators, none of them are going to be the same when you Mm -hmm. receive them back. Mm -hmm. So there are nuances in language, you know, that makes a big difference between the excellent translators who are really like authors themselves, in a way, and ones that are maybe, you know, that don't focus as much on the nuance of languages and things like that. Have you noticed any change in your part of the business since you started in 2004? That's another good question as well. And I guess the first thing I would have to comment on with regard to that is the various corners of the market. So if you have... With regard to, let's say, commercial production, you know, maybe things have slowed down a bit Mm -hmm. when it comes to cultural and arts production, because we work a lot with doing audio guides for museums and for cultural institutions and places of interest around the world. Mm -hmm. For that particular area in this field has actually, I'd say, has seen growth. It has increased for us. You know, I think that it has a lot to do with, you know, visitors and and that's part of the uh, tourism, I suppose, as well, because, you know, when you have a lot of visitors that go to, let's say, Barcelona uh, to see, you know, cultural attractions or to London or anywhere else in the world, to Paris uh, and all the other, you know, uh, European cities that have points of interest for people around the world come see. I think, you know, that's not anything that's going to slow down because, you know, people's inherent thirst for knowledge. You know, I myself also like going, you know, if you travel abroad, many people go to see, you know, points of interests or historically relevant things that they can visit and learn from. So that's one thing that we work on is doing the production for audio guides. And mm-hmm. I think in that segment of the market, we've we've seen actually steady growth. But there are other segments as well, like e-learning. I think we were doing some e-learning for a while. And, you know, I'm not sure what the um, cause 
uh, every business, I suppose, and industry experiences, you know, ebbs and flows. But I would say that in the other segments, there has been maybe a steady decline. And I'm not sure. My theory is that there's probably more competition in the marketplace now than mm-hmm. there was in the past. Mm-hmm. And of course, that is making it harder to compete on you know, finding price points, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is something that's always changing in this industry. When you're selling a service, when you're working services, as opposed to something tangible, let's say, like radios or computers or whatever it may be, sure. there tends to be more variation with regard to, I feel, how, you know, the pricing works for it. You know, what are your services worth? Well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you bring in, you factor in, you know, places uh, that are doing the things for less. And then, you, you know, you start to think about things like, well, maybe Maybe the currency is too strong. You know, I mm-hmm, think one of the mm-hmm, other things mm-hmm. is we were doing a lot of business with Europe in the past. And uh, post-Brexit, I think we, uh, now that the dollar is, is much stronger than it was even, let's say, four or five years ago, I think that it's less advantageous for European companies to actually work with American companies hmm. now compared to how it was five years ago. Right. Um, you know, people always think, oh, a good dollar is very strong. But actually, for international commerce and trade, it, it's not good to have a dollar that's too strong. It can hurt right. uh, businesses that are located. In, in America, yeah. That makes sense. The name of this podcast series is Passionate Producers. Mm-hmm. Your particular branch, I would not put either creativity or passion necessarily in the forefront. How does that fit into your work? Passion and creativity. It is true that when we have projects, we have maybe more parameters than mm-hmm. somebody who produces things in English or whatever native language is supposed to be produced in to a certain extent. Although, you know, everybody's working with guidelines usually nowadays, even, you know, Hollywood blockbuster films. There's, sure. you know, a lot of they even do market research to find out what people want and what they don't want. Right. Sure. So, I mean, to a certain extent, we do work with more parameters with regard to we're not in the business of duplicating, so to speak. but of conveying something that's already been created, right? Right. So I think, though, that it can be nice at times, even, you know, if someone were an artist or as an artist, you know, I myself am am a musician. That's how I got into engineering records to begin with. But once I've segued kind of into the multimedia localization aspect, I feel as though it can be nice at times to have parameters to work within because it Mm -hmm. allows us to stay more focused. We know what we need to do. And I think that then we can focus our energy on making it the best quality production with regard to the nuances that are involved. So once we receive a script from somebody, uh, let's say for an audio guide for another production, we look at the script and then we have a chance to interpret that with quite a bit of leeway and freedom, as a matter of fact. So even that initial step of interpreting and translating something that's been produced already, but when you're doing it into another language, there's a lot of really room to work with, so to speak. That was my thought. I mean, I have run into that myself a few times. You have to fit it into two seconds, and you know the translation you're working with is not going to work. So you have to become creative. (laughs) uh, That's a whole other challenge, exactly, because then you end up having even more constraints regarding actually like logistic constraints and constraints regarding timing and things like that, you know, because Mm -hmm. some languages, I think it's like a Spanish and German, can often run 30% longer than English. But, you know, you're trying to do something for cheap. Localization is something you really can't do that. 
Absolutely. I mean, it, it can you can even get to things like different dialects. You know, mm -hmm. I know that there mm -hmm. are some things that could be offensive in Spanish that they, they speak in Mexico versus in Europe. You know, there mm -hmm. are certain terms mm -hmm. and things that people need to be aware of that are culturally, as you said, insensitive. And so all of that needs to be tightly analyzed and remembered because mm -hmm. ultimately you don't want to end up offending someone or, or conveying a message that was not the intent. These differences in culture are not necessarily obvious, and you can run into roadblocks that you didn't even anticipate at all. That's very true. You know, that's why we always try to prepare, you know, ahead of time as much as possible with regard to, and this is actually goes back to ultimately one of the biggest challenges that we face as a multimedia localization company. You know, this fits into part of it is, and I would have to say though, another aspect is tempering expectations of, of the client regarding, you know, turnaround times and, mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like, because as you mentioned earlier, Many people don't even know that, you know, these culturally sensitive things can come into play, but also they want things done on the cheap and things like that. But this is a it's a time consuming process, especially if you're working with longer scripts or material mm -hmm. that has a more significant runtime than, let's say, just like a 30 second radio spot or TV spot. These things take time to work on. The initial phase really is to get the script in top shape so that the production can begin. Because without that script being done properly and correctly and making sure that there's nothing culturally you know, sensitive or offensive in it, you can't go past step one until that is completed. And often, you know, the biggest challenge for us is to try to convey this and the importance of you know, how important the translation is. And we work only with human translators. So that's mm -hmm. another thing mm -hmm. often that we need to convey to clients because everybody's used to, you know, especially in New York, everybody wants everything done yesterday. So, right. you know, we always want to emphasize that this takes time. You know, we have a strict protocol regarding, you know, proofreading and editors that are involved. So there are several people always involved in that process. And it's not just the click of a button. Unfortunately, I wish mm -hmm. that it was. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there are people involved and um, this needs to be gone over over thoroughly and, and made sure, you know, that the translation is up to par, of course. So, yeah, it's challenging at times, you know, tempering expectations regarding turnaround times and just overall, generally, although I have to say we have had very positive results with translations and the productions that we've done. So it's not an easy thing to do. There are a lot of moving parts, you know, mm -hmm. and whenever multiple mm -hmm. people are involved in things, it's important. Communication is really key. Communicating workflow and things like that and setting mm -hmm. benchmarks. And we often set deadlines for ourselves you know, for certain aspects and stages of the project, which, right. which we find helps as well. Well, I would imagine with your work, you don't have a, a bunch of people from different uh, languages and cultures sitting in your very building. So you have to farm out most of your work, I would imagine. Are you dealing with... Um, actually, you know, well, well, that's one of the great things about New York City is this is oh, really that's true. kind of a melting that's true. pot. Yeah, yeah. yeah and mm -hmm. we, we do have resources, you know, from all over the world here. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I have to say, I don't know that that would be possible in many other cities. That's uh, true, that's true. In the world, I mean, maybe, you know, if you're looking at some of the, you know, uh, larger cities that have more of a global population, you know, people from, from other places, but I think New York is actually kind of known for that. And we have a slight advantage with regard to not having to, you know, outsource uh, much work at all. Mm -hmm. So we do, in fact, have when we have language specific projects, uh, whether it's uh, Portuguese or Spanish or French or Japanese, we, in fact, do use local New York resources. You know? I would say in your business, that is a huge advantage. Yeah, it is. Not I mean, just and, the and time difference, but you're dealing with people personally. You can sit down and discuss absolutely. it because it's very yeah. hard. 
it makes things more efficient. You know, it makes us able to improve our turnaround time, you know, because we're not the middleman, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're the contact point for the client and we handle everything, uh, you know, within our own office production and everything else translation within our own our own location. Now, that's not to say we never outsource if there's, you know, we've had requests for languages that are, you know, somewhat obscure, let's say that, that you don't hear of too often. Mm-hmm. And in those instances, you know, the resources are obviously not as abundant as for other languages. It's an advantage to us now, but the way that things are changing, you know, with uh, home studios being used and, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, voice actors being around the world, you know, I can't say that even five years from now that maybe the vast majority of that business will be, you know, outsourced just due to cost, because ultimately everybody's just looking to cut costs most of Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. When I have spoken to the different layers of production within media and arts, we Mm -hmm. keep coming back to storytelling. You can never get away from storytelling. Whatever you have, if you can tell a story, you need a person. And I would imagine that that falls right into localization, probably even more. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, there are certain things that may not need to be told as a story, depending on what it is, like maybe for advertising or marketing, if people are selling products, depends on the context. But ultimately, I think you're exactly right. I think that human beings are not going to be obsolete quite yet with (laughs) regard to communicating, you know, and providing messages for people around the world. At least I hope not, because stories are told better by people than by computers, in my opinion, anyway. Right. Only people can communicate with people and read each other and pick the right word and the, and things like Absolutely. that to make it work. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see. I mean, this is part of the thing, in, innovation. You know, the, the, we have come a long way even in the past decade with regard to technology and innovation, and this is all going to impact the media industry and multimedia and production. It has already profoundly. So what's going to happen in the next five or ten years? It's kind of exciting, you know, to see where we're going to go with it. But again, it's the, you know, the fear of the unknown, so to speak, as well, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. nobody really has any idea if, if 90% of people start using software or computers, it's going to really change things. And I'm curious to see what happens, you know, with regard to that, if the quality will be affected, or if hopefully it's not going to simplify communication between people with regard to expression and thought and freedom of thought and speech, ultimately, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, when ISDN was invented, that was like a big mm-hmm. step forward. And now you look and, you know, ISDN is, you can record somebody with high definition, you know, from right. across the other side of the world. So what's happening now is not much different. It's just kind of simplified, so to speak, in, in the sense that, you know, you can share media projects and media folders. Even these programs now are going in the cloud. So right, for instance, right. you know, Pro Tools now is a cloud. So I can, I can share a session with somebody in Japan in real time. You know, and have them work on editing or mixing or whatever it may need to be done without without doing any actually data transfer or waiting for an FTP server and, and things like that. You can have a media project and you can have somebody from every corner of the world working on it at the same time. It's, it's amazing. It really is. What is your passion about your work? My passion about my work specifically is I'm a person who likes 
having tangible results. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. this is a good industry for me because when things are completed, you know, we have something that we can watch or we have something that we can listen to or Uh experience, you know. And these are oftentimes, I believe, for the Harry Potter project that you and I worked on, it was for the Harry Potter experience. So now, Mm -hmm. you know, that's an element, you know, very important element for amusement park. I like being able to, you know, we produced a tour for Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle and the Empire State Building as well. I like the fact that when I can go to these places and see that people right. are actually using the audio guides and listening mm-hmm. to a production that we produce, mm-hmm. it makes me feel like a, a sense of accomplishment. So that kind of feeds the passion for me particularly. I love history, I love culture, and mm-hmm. being able to work on productions where I'm helping convey the story or the history of a place, you know, a point of interest to people that speak all different kinds of languages. That for me is very exciting. And I like being able to see that people are, you know, entertained and getting information all at the same time. So that's something that I'm passionate about is having tangible results and also seeing growth and development with regard to business, you know, and ideas, seeing if some ideas are good, some are not good. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, it's great to have an idea and to see it come to fruition and to see it succeed. So I think a big motivating factor for me is seeing growth generally and uh, Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. and also tangible results. Yeah. I appreciate the talk. It's a great project that you're working on. This is fantastic. I I enjoy it and it gets me a chance to contact the people I have actually worked with. And it's it's been a lot of fun. Great. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity and have have a great rest of the week. The Passionate Producers podcast is produced twice a month for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at ulfvo.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow me on Twitter at ulfvo. You will find all the links in the show notes.